so for those who are still, uh, who might be tuning in for the first time or, or uh, catching up here, we've been on a journey of preaching titled Ascent. And, um, and this is going through the book of Ephesians, the, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And uh, chapter 6 is where we're at now, and we will be in this place for the next few weeks as we bring this series to a close. Um, we're actually on the home stretch of this series now, and, uh, which I'm really uh, excited about. Uh, we've been shaping this series around some ideas of ongoing upward motion, which is the idea of ascend. You know, ascending is going upwards. And we've looked at uh, the first three chapters, looked at the idea of looking up. Uh, the, the high praise, the, the times of, of, of just statements of praise and exuberance that are coming from Paul. We, it's about looking up. Uh, then we've looked extensively over the last number of weeks from chapter 4 onwards at this idea of stepping up. Um, we're, we're living a life worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. And so we step up to the plate knowing that, uh, that we are called to be different, but more, more, it's not about just try harder or behave better, but live up to who you are now in Christ. All right? we, are, we are different through grace. We are equipped and, and empowered and, and inspired through grace to live differently. And so Paul is saying, you know what? It should be a natural byproduct that life is different for a believer because of who they are in Christ. Now we're going to look at something new. Our final upward motion idea, and I'll give you the punchline of that later in the, in the message today. Um, but our passage is going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the, breastpl with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Stand strong in the Lord. Stand in His power. Be strong in the Lord. Be, stand, stand firm. These are some of the, the phrases that have fueled the resolve of God's people over the centuries, over the, 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 the years of, of his people. And uh, we know this, you know, be strong and be courageous is what, jo uh, what um, Joshua was told. And, and uh, now we're seeing this uh, consistent command from God to his people on the eve of doing great things. Do life without a a hint of fear in their spiritual makeup. Stand firm, hold the line, uh, look forward. And uh, for Joshua, there was a city to conquer and a, and a whole pagan land after that. Uh, for Ephesus, there was a foe to fight. There was a pagan land to conquer. Except in this case, it would not be a physical fight, but a spiritual one. Paul is the veteran of these sorts of battles, and he's aware that despite this not being a physical tussle, 
it still had the potential to paralyze a whole church through fear if it actually if people let it go down that way and in the face of that possibility paul is calling for the church to galvanize herself for the fight of her life this fight was to be against a very specific enemy and the church is being instructed to keep this firmly in mind now as we read this passage we need to understand that there were actually very real physical opposing forces coming up against the church in Ephesus. There'd been a lot of heat already. All these previously idolatrous people had come to the Lord. We need to remember that, that the church in Ephesus wasn't a bunch of Jewish people who'd suddenly said, oh yeah, let's believe in Jesus now. This was actually people from the universities. This was young adults who after two years of university life came to faith in Jesus through the ministry of Paul. This is, this is a um, hard work in pagan territory and Paul's uh, you know, fruit of his labor sort of coming to light in this. This is what the church is. It's a lot of people coming out of the pagan way of life. All these previously idolatrous people had stopped purchasing idols. They actually sent an entire trade into recession, the silversmiths. There'd been an exodus out of the congregation of Artemis, as well as about 49 other pagan religious systems. There'd been an exposing of the work of darkness going on all around them. And this was simply by the church being who they were. The whole city was at least in one major instance deeply shaken by this. We know this in the book of Acts. Just a side note on this. It said that there was an instance where they took all their books about magic and spells and all this other stuff they had and chucked it in a big old bonfire. And it came to 50,000 drachmas worth of, 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 uh, of, of stuff burned up. That's 50,000 minimum day's wages. In the JobKeeper era, that would be about $7.5 million dollars. Right, so you know, this is this is minimum. You know, so th this is minimum wage going on here. This is a lot of just, um, you know, what people would be, uh, you know, well, maybe a bit less, but yeah, they're they're just there's a lot of expensive stuff going up in smoke there. Five, Fifty thousand days wages, absolutely just going up in smoke like that. That's that's just a, a huge thing. And imagine just the 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 scene that would set. Beyond this, the church was starting to be labeled by the Roman world as atheists. Paul is in the middle of that in his prison cell. This was because they refused to acknowledge the deity of the emperor, and they had no images or statues of the God that they worshipped. They were starting to be accused of other silly things along the way as well. Um, you know, in particular, the, uh, the, the, the Lord's table that we've just celebrated here was heavily misunderstood, and the word cannibalism was thrown around a lot to describe the church because of their eating of blood and drinking of flesh, uh, uh, drinking of blood and eating of flesh that was uh, misunderstood through what we've just practiced here. But while the Roman soldiers and the leaders were looking sideways at them and the community was misunderstanding them, Paul is calling the church's attention to the greater enemy than what they saw with their naked eye the true enemy pulling the strings behind all of that. Paul has already made mention of this person 
in the, uh, to the church of Ephesus. In chapter 2, he's already read the, written this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is saying this, but by doing what you want to do, instead of what God wants, in other words, while we are living in disobedience, while we were embracing the mindset of the world and not the mind of Christ, we were not just following our heart or pursuing our dreams. We were, in fact, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, not the ruler of the heavens, but the power of a lower realm. In Ezekiel 28, we see that the prophet there is told to address two rulers over a region known as Tyre. This is a region north of Israel. If you go and read the chapter, you'll see that there is both a human ruler and a spiritual one being spoken to there. The first half of the chapter addresses the mortal figure. If you read that in your own time, you'll clearly make that out. But after this, we then see an address to someone more celestial. Let me read this. It's Ezekiel 28, verses 11 and 19. Um, there, it, there it is there. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Now, you are going to very clearly see that this is not a human being spoken of here and definitely not the character of the king of Tyre at that time. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, uh, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, never heard of that, uh, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and your mountings. That's actually in the Hebrew, basically refers to timbrels and flutes. Rhythm and melody were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on, on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you. You will come to a horrible end. Or you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. This is a picture of Satan. This is the once chief guardian of heaven, the, the worship leader of heaven. Music built within him. Incredible splendor and beauty who had all that he needed and then got proud and decided he wanted more. That last image of coming to an end is still yet to come. But in the meantime, he was thrown to the earth until that judgment would come. And while he is here, he is continuing his work of rebellion by plying his once-anointed trade of facilitating worship towards himself instead of towards God. 
And this fallen presence still has power until that, that end comes. In Matthew, where Jesus is going through the wilderness temptation, we, uh, we read this. Uh, I don't know if I've got it there. Yeah, I do. Now, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here we see that Jesus doesn't correct the claim of ownership. Instead, we see that this is Satan trying to lure Jesus into a bloodless kingdom arrangement. You don't have to go and die for all these people. I'll just give them all to you. you just got to give up the whole cross thing, bow your knee to me, and those people live. Satan knew that if Jesus did that, his demonic work would not be defeated. But we know in John's letters, in John's epistles, that the uh, purpose of the Son of God was to what? To destroy the works of the devil. But until the kingdom comes in full, the title deed of the earth still belongs to a fallen worship leader named Lucifer. We see this again in John's Gospel, where Jesus clearly states three times that, G that Satan is the ruler of this world, at least for now. The words of the Petra song back in the 80s is true. Till judgment we all must endure. In today's passage, we see that there is rank and file in this invisible force. We read about principalities, we read about powers here. Uh, there, there are plans being made. The devil is being very strategic. He's laying traps. He's doing all that he can. These are what, the, what Paul calls the devil's schemes. And according to Paul here, there's a time in all of our lives where the invisible conflict will escalate. There'll be a point where we're all pushed to the limit. That's what Paul calls the day of evil. Whether that be collectively a time where the church is going to be pushed to the nth degree of its, of its capacity, or whether it be a day of reckoning in all of us, where we kind of are really confronted with, am I going to stand or am I going to fall? It can actually be a bit of both there. Paul is very clear that this will be a fight that we all need to be willing to engage in. He calls this a struggle. In the Greek, this is a wrestling match. It's a fight at close quarters. It's hand to hand in its description. Yet at the same time, this struggle is spiritual. And therefore, as Paul tells us, not directed at flesh and blood. To shut down any physical enemy of the church we need to be in the business of shutting down a spiritual one. To shut down persecution against the church outside the walls, to shut down division within. That starts with doing battle against the spiritual forces behind these things. For every physical element that stops the missional work of the church, whether it be circumstance or people, there is a spirit pulling the strings. For every believer, there will be a wrestling, there will be a struggle to pursue. Friend, if you are a Christian and you're going, why is it a struggle at times? It's because the devil doesn't want you to succeed. 
There is an actual, you know, there is a power, there is a force out there, there is a, a presence, there is a person out there that is seeking for your demise. And we kind of go along, walking along through this place, particularly in our Western mindset going, oh, everything's just sweet and, and everything's cool, everything, I've got Jesus in me, everything's fine. Where did the struggle come from? Paul is clear here, we are not to be surprised at that. We are not to be shocked. It's like, we're not to be blindsided by this. There's an enemy that wants your demise. You need to be aware of that. But we as the people of God have access to what it takes to stand strong in these battles. We have a very clear advantage in the struggle. We have something designed to help us stand aground. It's not necessarily about attack, certainly, certainly not about retreat, but mainly about bracing ourselves and standing with planted feet. In this life, in this struggle, retreat is not an option. The offensive spiritual battle clearly belongs to the Lord. And in the midst of this, the chosen grace-filled, spirit-empowered Christian is called to simply strongly stand. And we do this by what Paul calls the armor of God. Now, as we think of this, there are three things I just want to quickly show you before we wind up here today. The first thing is about the nature of the armor that's being described here. Isaiah 59 Verses 15 to 17 says this, Truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased and that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So in his own arm, so his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. The helmet of salvation on his head, he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Friends, this is a picture of the Lord taking personal offense at the lack of justice that he sees. That mankind, and in particular Israel in their strength, had failed to uphold the standard of justice. So he gets personally involved and clothes himself in an armor to wield his judgment. And this armor has significantly similar elements to the armor that we are told to put on. That's important to note here at this time. You see, we're often told that Paul uh, was... was um, sorry. We're often told that Paul was, prob was probably chained to a Roman soldier. And, you know, and he's got a visual in front of him. He's got a, a centurion sort of armor sitting in front of him and he's chained to that and he's got it at first-hand knowledge and he's got a guide to work from. And I definitely see the sense of this. There is definitely truth to that and that will come to play as we look at the elements beginning next week. But he's, Paul's Hebraic Jewish background allows him to see God's expression in this as well. The visual is a modern picture of something he already knows to be true about the Lord. 
Paul is not just asking us to put on an armor that he alone metaphorically created by observing his surroundings. Neither is he calling for the church to wear an armor that God makes for others. He's instructing the church in Ephesus to put on an armor that God himself wears. To be clothed in stuff that is also clothes and forms the character of God. The armor of God that is on offer to us to engage in the spiritual fight that is going on all around us has the same characteristics and the strengths that he has, that he wears. Being a spiritual battle, only God knows what that armor needs to do. God alone knows what impact it needs to withstand. He alone knows what arsenal it needs to fend off. And he's not going to give us access to anything less than that which is going to be truly effective. So we have a unique characteristic about this, uh, this uh, armor. It's not just a Roman soldier as a metaphor, but it's actually capturing something about the character of God and what he actually does to equip us in those times of battle here. So it's more than just the soldier's image. It's actually about the strength of God galvanizing his church. Second thing. Paul stresses that we are put on to put on every single piece. Put on the whole armor. We can't take one part and leave other bits out. <clears throat> the full armor is designed for a soldier to reduce their vulnerability to an absolute minimum. Any part removed puts a great big target on that part of your being. There was an old-time scholar who said this, a dart may fly at a little hole like that which brought the message of death to Ahab through the joints of his harness. And Satan is such an archer who can shoot at penny breadth. I love some of the, old, the older style of, of language there. The last region Jen and I ministered to, ministered in in church, was the city of Wangaratta. This municipality includes the suburb of Glen Rowan. So, the story of Ned Kelly is deeply ingrained into the neighborhood. So many utilities with such is life written on the back. Straight funny. Some of his relatives actually attended our church and, atten and lived on the property where he actually grew up down the road. People actually from Melbourne and other places actually made pilgrimages to that property to he was captured by the police because they figured out the weakness of his armor shoot his knee after that everything else was see after that everything else was bouncing off that thing yeah have traits which can be counterfeited in human terms. Righteousness can be counterfeited. We can dangerously boast that our own righteousness has saved us when it certainly does not. Our salvation can be mispiece of the armor is understood, worn correctly, and used as necessary. 
And I will say this, the other fatal flaw of believers, particularly us in the West, is to do their best to hide from the spiritual conflict altogether. Over the years, this has had many expressions. They want a peaceful and quiet Christianity, do it as peacefully as they possibly can, to do it as quietly as they possibly can, to do it as stress-free as they possibly can, to be as problem-free, to be as struggle I love it when David took on Goliath. He said, I beat the lion and I've beaten the bear. Now I'm going to take on the giant. If a day of evil is coming, and if that's the giant, what lions and bears do you have sort of notched on your belt along the way? What stories of battle? What stories of victory? What stories of struggle? What stories of that is in the past and I beat it? in the power of the Spirit? What stories are in your life? What struggles have, have, can you t- tell the story about? What victories can you share? Some have hidden behind religious observances and ritual. Some have hidden behind a very nominal faith. Some have hidden in a very powerless expression. I do what I do because I just like the society I'm part of, rather than not so much the fight that I am called to be part of. It's almost like we in the Western church do our very best to be Switzerland in a spiritual battle. But like it or not, friend, If you call yourself a believer and a follower of Christ, you are in the fight of your life. Will you fight and stand? Or will you refuse to engage and therefore fall? The Lord has a plan for all those who will stand firm and fight in the spiritual realm. And the enemy will do everything he can to thwart that plan. So let me introduce you to our final upward motion that will overshadow this whole section. We've looked up. We've stepped up. And now let me introduce you to a military term, friends. Suit up. Suit up. It's time for battle. Suit up, it's time for the fight of your life. Suit up, basic training's about to start. Suit up, spiritual boot camp begins next week. We're going to learn how to suit up for battle, friends. As I come to this point, some have reflected that they've heard this an awful lot. I have heard different stories of people who have experienced this sort of teaching about the armour of God um, on, on regular bases. Uh, I've, um, you know, some have actually suggested the word cliche to describe the armour of God passages. 
This passage brings out great imagery in our minds. It does engage our minds, and it's something that we will remember a lot if we've ever heard it preached. And it, it makes for a great Sunday school program, you know, plastic swords and all. But has this been thoroughly preached and engaged with enough to be cliche? I hope not. I don't believe any scripture should be cliched. I can tell you now, as a soon-to-be 33-year veteran of church life, with two-thirds of this being in Pentecostal circles where spiritual warfare is a priority, this hasn't been my personal experience. I haven't heard this preached on a lot. I've heard it alluded to, I've heard it used in times here and there, but I've actually never heard a thorough teaching on this uh, armour of God other than the work I've done myself. That said, if it is something that is a regular in your mind and your memory, let me ask some questions here. When is the last time you heard this taught on? It hasn't been in the last four years, I can tell that, because I know what I've been preaching, and I know what our team has been on over that time. If it's recent, as in the last five years, what transformative work did that series do? What changed in your spiritual patterns as a result? Where are those changes now? Are we a suited up, spiritually engaged Christian in the fight of our life every day? Or are we more like a spiritual Switzerland in this whole deal nowadays? If we found ourselves back in that place again, then it's time to pick a side and to get ready to suit up and engage again in the spirit. When's the last time something got us so much? When's the last time we endured struggle that said, I am going to my knees and I'm not stopping until this is sorted? When's the last time we said, I am struggling and I've got to find a way forward and I need the power of the spirit to get me through this? When's the last time we... What have we been doing in this COVID season? What have we been doing in our lounge rooms? What have we been modeling to our families in this time? What spiritual forces are we engaging with? What times are our kids seeing us on our knees, parents? Are we doing battle in the spirit here? Are we praying earnestly right now for the state next door to us that is trying to paralyze the rest of the nation because of the, the, the sickness that's going on there? We're 20Ks from a border. We're paralyzed with fear even though there's no COVID cases here because of what's going on next door. Are we on our knees seeking the Lord's provision for that? Are we praying earnestly for that state and for its leadership and for its health and for its people and for its understanding of the situation at hand and all those things? And if not, will we commit to that? They're about to go into stage four lockdown. It's going to happen and that their mental health and all these other things is going to be a big thing right now. Someone's got to do battle for them. Instead of demanding constitutional rights and all these other different things that are going on, let's just get on our knees and fight for them. Fight for our nation at this time. Fight for who we are in our homes. Fight for our homes 
right now, this, this element of complacency and this element of, of, of apathy that can rise up in, the, in this house space that is being reported all through the world right now. It's time to get engaged with the spiritual realm again and to, to, to get on our knees and fight. To engage in something far more, to, to not just get, lament what we're seeing in the physical right now, but actually engage with the forces behind that and start praying into that and, and suiting up and getting ourselves ready for that sort of struggle. Friends, it's time for that sort of journey for us as a church. For the church of the city, every Wednesday morning, the ministers meet. Every single Wednesday morning, the ministers in this town pray. Every single morning, where every single Wednesday morning, we are praying for Victoria. We're praying for Mount Gambia. We're praying for our state. We're praying for the nation. Earnestly. And it's time for the church to be part of that process. Let's engage in the fight. Let's not hide away in our Switzerland's. Let's not hide away in this retreat space that we've been in. But let's move forward. Let's ascend. Let's suit up. And let's, go, let's learn how to engage afresh in the spiritual realm in the way that Paul is going to instruct us. I hope you're ready for that. Boot camp starts next week. For now, let's stop and pray.